Well, it's, uh, as I said, it's good to be with you this morning. Um, here's what our time together is going to look like. I'm going to take about 10, 15 minutes, and that's like pastoral 10, 15 minutes, so who knows, right? Uh, about 10, 15 minutes, and, and I just kind of want to share uh, some vision, some direction for our church now that we're in a new year, and just kind of share with you uh, where I think the Lord is, is taking us over this year, and then we're going to jump into uh, the, a small, a short little message, uh, maybe, uh, on, <laughs> on what uh, Kyle just read for us from the creation story in Genesis. And so hopefully a, a good portion of you, last week we, we gathered in homes, some gathered here uh, to watch the videos that I sent out for, for worship together. And so hopefully the majority of you had an opportunity to watch uh, the video that I had sent out, um, just talking about the vision and the direction that we're going a little bit this year. If you haven't had a chance, it's on our YouTube channel. So if you just go youtube.com slash at movechurchca, you'll find it there. You can check it out. It's about 12 minutes long. But in that, in that video, I had shared that I am uh, very full of hope for this year for our church. And you know, it's one of those things where I think as a pastor, God just gives pastors the, the spiritual gift of hope in general. It just kind of keeps you going through the ministry. Uh, Kate often says that about me, but I'm really hope-filled for this year because of where I think the Lord is going to take us this year. I said in the video that every church of Jesus Christ, every church that proclaims Jesus as Lord, has the exact same mission. And that mission is to make disciples. Right? We are to make effective disciples of Jesus Christ. But each church within that mission has a unique and contextual way in which they are going to do that. And there's different factors that kind of uh, de determine how each church is going to function, how they're going to live out that mission. It's factors like what giftings are present in the church. Right? And so you, you see some churches where they just have this really heavy teaching gifting. And so outside of a Sunday morning, there's like Sunday school and there's curriculum and all these events. And they're raising up followers of Christ prom predominantly through teaching. And then you find other churches where they have a, a strong mercy gift and justice gift and serving gift. And in these churches, they are heavily making disciples through outreach and service. And neither one is uh, right, neither one is wrong. There should be a mix in each, but every church will have a predominant way in which they make disciples of Jesus Christ. And it's dependent on giftings, it's dependent on your location, it's dependent on the, the members of your church, right? Are there a lot of young Christians in the church? Are there a lot of mature Christians in the church? That's going to determine how you function as a church. What are the needs in your community? And then what is the cultural moment that God has put you in as a church, right? What are the things that culture is struggling with? What are the things that culture, uh, the lies that culture is believing that the church can speak into really well with the truth of God's Word? And so all of those factors kind of lead to how a church uniquely and contextually lives out the mission Jesus has given them. And really, what I'm talking about is vision. Right? Vision is the, the how. How will we complete the mission that Jesus has given us? And vision is incredibly important. Uh, it keeps you moving forward. It keeps you kind of having a, a goal in front of you that you know this is what we are trying to hit as a church. And so as I said 
in the video that I sent out last week, I'm in the midst right now of seeking the Lord. And, and we, as a church, if you didn't know, we are in the midst of a season where we need a renewed vision and direction from the Lord. And so some of you are maybe wondering, well, why now? Right? And I want to I tell you, why now? Why are we in this season as a church? And there's a couple of reasons why. The first reason is that I've been pastoring this church now for five years. I'm in my sixth year. It's been five years that I've been pastoring Move Church. And one of the realities that happens in churches is usually around year four or year five, churches hit a wall. Churches hit a wall in regards to direction. Churches hit a wall in regards to vision. And you'll actually notice, if you were to look at statistics, that a lot of pastors actually leave churches between the three to five-year mark. And it's because of this, this wall that they hit, the, the vision wall that we kind of run into. And pastors leave churches thinking, okay, well, maybe it's just time for me to move on. And then they go to another church, and then inevitably, three to five years down the road, they hit the same kind of wall. So I, I'm not going anywhere, okay? That's not where this is going. But, <laughs> but uh, that's often what happens. And instead of moving on, the best thing to do is to press in and press through that wall to get to the other side of it, because it happens every five years. It's a cycle. And so for us, that is the period that we are in right now. If you have been with Move Church for a while, if you've been a regular tender here for a while, then up to now, we've had a pretty clear vision and direction of where the Lord has taken us. In, in year one to three of me being at Move Church, uh, a, a portion of our vision was just me figuring out what I was doing, right? Like, that, that's just the reality when you become a pastor. It's like anything. You go to school, and, and you learn, and then you get thrown into it, and you realize you don't really know what it means to be a pastor. And so uh, part of it was just me learning what does it mean to be a pastor in the first couple of years, right? And so some of you have been very gracious in coming along with me in that as I've learned that. Uh, but also, in the first one to three years or so, the focus was building a strong base, right? Like when, I, when Kate and I first showed up at this church, it was meeting in CCA in the gym, and there was about 12 people in the gym when we arrived. And so there was this need to grow up this strong base of faithful people who are bought into the church, and that's happened over the last little while. And then there was also this need of just this deeper uh, biblical teaching, this deeper theological teaching, where there was this, this need for uh, greater conviction and greater understanding of what God's Word said. And so that was kind of year one to three as a church. And then year four came along, and really what came in with that was uh, the whole thing that we've been walking through with Beckwith Baptist Church, right? It's almost two years ago that we started the conversation with Beckwith Baptist, just basically saying, hey, like, we have a pastor and a, a young congregation. You have a building, and you are in need of a pastor and a congregation. So let's examine and see what this looks like if we come together and see if the Lord wants to do it. And He has immensely blessed our time together over the last year and a half, two years or so. And I'm actually happy to tell you that we are now officially one church like we are one church under the banner of Move Church now, all together, which is amazing. I think the only thing, the only little piece that's left to do is get a seal on the deed. I don't know anything about it, but that's the only thing that's left to do. It's done too. There you go. Everything's done. So we are fully one church now under the banner of Move Church. And so that brings us to where we are right now in this moment. And 
for me, what it feels like for the first time in my five years here is I really feel like we've kind of transitioned from uh, kind of a church plant mode in a way to an established church. We've grown to that point where we're an established church. And so I'm in this kind of situation of, okay, God, like, what's next? Right? Like, like what, what is next for our church? What do you have on the horizon for us? And so that's reason number one. Uh, reason number two is you may have noticed, and this morning's a good indication of it, that we've grown over the last little while. We've gone from a, a small gathering to, you know, by Canadian standards, kind of a medium gathering. We're hitting that 75-person mark averaging. And again, in church metrics, it's one of those things where when you hit that 75-person mark, things have to change. You are not the same as you were when you were a 50 or under church. And so that's where we are at. And so a, a new vision is needed, a new way of functioning as a church is needed, because we cannot function the same way that we have functioned when we were a church of under 50 people. So we need a new vision. We need a new way of working as a church. And so a couple of things that that means. Uh, first thing is that my role needs to change. My role needs to adapt according to the size that we are as a church. I need to change according to where the Lord wants to take us. And really, my role needs to change to one that is about investing and equipping, uh, especially leaders, for the work of ministry. So that means for me, uh, I was talking to Kyle this week, actually, we met together, and I said, I got to let go of some things. And some of you know I, I maybe control things a little bit too much. I need to just let go. It's going to be okay. And so, you know, that's one of the things that I need to do as your pastor is just hand some things off and equip people to do those things. And so the other thing that that means is that you, the saints, you need to be equipped and doing the work of the ministry, right? Like that is what the church is to be about. It's not the pastor doing the work of the ministry. It's the saints doing the work of the ministry as the pastor equips them for it. And so one of the things that all of us need to know is that if you are here uh, you are here for more than just being here on a Sunday morning. That's, that's not the reason why God, or the only reason why God has you here. If you are here, God has you here for a reason, and we need to discover what that reason is, what your purpose is, what your giftings are, so that you can step into it, and you can help in the, for the sake of this mission that we have as a church to make disciples. And so all that to say, I think this year um, is going to be filled with change. And some of you love that word, and some of you are freaking out right now. Uh, <laughs> but this year is going to be filled with some significant changes, I think, for us as a church. And so for those of you who have been at Move Church for several years, you've been here for a little while, what I want to say to you is that we are the same church. Right? We are the same church, same biblical convictions, same teaching, same truth that we are standing on, but we're also a new church. Right? We, we are not the same church that we once were, and, and we need to shift and we need to adjust. And so if you've been here for a few years, you're probably going to feel that tension a little bit as we have to shift as a church. But what we need to keep in mind is that with growth comes the necessity of change. Or else what ends up happening is we get in the way of what God's doing. 
And we do not want to be a barrier to what God is doing, a barrier to growth that he is bringing to our church. And I'm not talking strictly numerical growth. I'm talking growth that comes from men and women and young people and children being grown up as effective followers of Jesus Christ. And so we need to be prepared to change and adjust with the Lord as he works in our midst. And so a couple tangible things, a couple practical things for next steps and what that means is uh, I'm taking this season, so from January to June, uh, I am taking this season to just seek the Lord, and, and I'm kind of calling it a vision formation season. Okay, just a, a season to see, God, where do you want us to go? I've had a few conversations with people over the last like, few weeks, really, and I think a few of you have been feeling the same thing that I've been feeling. Right? I, I would say by about September into the winter, I was kind of feeling this this uh, unease in my spirit was like, okay, God, I'm not exactly sure where you want us to go now. Not on a Sunday. Sundays are coming together. We're worshiping. We're teaching. But like, what is that pointing us to? What are we doing beyond a Sunday? And I felt a little bit stagnant in that, not really sure. And so in this season, I want to uh, seek the Lord and just determine from Him, like, God, what is our purpose as a church? What are we doing beyond a Sunday? Like, where can we really make a difference in our world, in our church, in people's lives to see effective followers of Jesus raised up, right? So a big part of that season from January to June is going to be gleaning from all of you, right? Because I, I can't just pop a vision out of my head, right? And so it needs to be from feedback from all of you. And so I'm going to be sending out questions and uh, sending out just some surveys and things like that because I want to see like what as I said in the video, like, what makes you tick, right? What are your giftings? What has the Lord uh, uniquely given you to do? And, you know, maybe there's going to be a theme in our church where we just have this heavy gifting in one, where, one area, and we need to leverage that. And so you're going to be a part of this journey over the next few months with the hope that by September, uh, we can just have this very clear vision of where God is taking us as a church, and we can launch into it and be effective in what he wants us to do. Amen? Um, you're also going to see this year probably some organizational changes, probably some new leaders raising up, some new ministries raising up just to uh, meet the, the need that we have. Uh, and then you're also going to see um, some very practical changes in the building. Uh, we are going to start some renovations in the building because we, we need to be able to serve the people who are here better. And so we're going to be starting in the basement uh, and so that we can serve our young people better. And so my hope uh, is, is that I want to have it done by like April. I want to have it done by Easter. I would love to have the basement renovation done so that come Easter we can welcome people in and there's a great uh, new nursery downstairs and a, a great new multi-use room that can be for our kids and our youth and small groups, whatever we may need down there. And so that's going to be one of the practical things that we are doing as a church as well. So I hope that you are excited. I think that it is going to be a year of learning. It's going to be a year of equipping. It's going to be a year of growth. And that goes for you guys and, and for me. It's going to be a, a year of growth for every single one of us here. And so I hope you're excited about that. And one of the, one of the things that I feel like is kind of a theme for this year, uh, I'm not usually one to have a theme for the year, but I've just felt like over the last few weeks, the Lord just keeps bringing the same thing up, 
same thing up, and so I can't ignore it. And I think the theme for this year is obedience, is obedience to God. And I talked last week, for those who were were with us, I just said, you know, one of the mistakes that we make as a Christian culture in the West is that we we put so much weight behind knowledge, right? We think, like, we just got to gain knowledge, gain knowledge, gain knowledge, know as much as I possibly can. But if that knowledge that we're gaining doesn't lead to action, doesn't lead to obedience, then it's kind of pointless, right? Like, we need to know the Lord. We need to know what is true. But that should lead us to action. And if it's not, then we're missing the point. And so I think for us as a church this year, the theme is going to be obedience, stepping into what the Lord wants us to step into. And I think it'll be challenging and growing, and it'll be amazing. And so I'm going to be updating you regularly on what's happening, what we're doing in regards to vision, kind of where we're going as a church, when we start doing the building downstairs and the renovations and all that sort of stuff. And I'll just communicate as much as I can as we go through the next season together so that we are all uh, a part of it together. Sound good? Can we, can we just pray um, for our church? Can we pray for what the Lord wants to do here? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, Again, we've already said it this morning, but we thank you so much um, that we have a place to gather. Lord, we are grateful that each person is here. Father, that each one is in their seat, their pew this morning. Lord, there is a reason why you have brought each heart, each soul here. Father, we thank you that you have given us breath in our lungs, that we get to worship you, that we get to lift our voices to you. And Father, May we be a church and a congregation that pours our lives out for Jesus, that it's not just a a Sunday thing, but every day of the week we wake up wondering, Lord, how can I live for you today in response to what you have done for me? And so, Father, we pray for your vision. We pray for your direction for our church and how we can best uh, live out the mission that you have given us to go and make disciples. Lord, we pray for this next season as we seek your face. And Father, we, as I said last week, I just feel like we're getting started. We're just barely out of the gate, and there's so much that you have for us. And so, Lord, I pray um, your blessing over each one here. Father, I pray that they would know uh, the purposes and the plans that you have for them. Father, that you would use each and every one of us mightily. We are all a part of the body, and we need one another, and the world needs the truth of Jesus. And so, Father, we give this church over to you. Uh, We give our hearts over to you. We lay down our purposes. We lay down our plans, and we ask, Lord, would you show us yours, that we may follow you in Jesus' name. An awkward transition into the message. Uh, and, so, and so as we begin this year, um, with where I believe the Lord is taking us, our teachings on Sunday mornings are always a big part of what we're doing as a church, and they will continue to be a, a, a significant part of laying the groundwork and preparing our hearts and minds for what God has in store for us. You may have noticed if you've been here for any amount of time that when I preach, my focus is very heavily on the Lord. Um, I, 
I contemplate, you know, who he is, what he is like. And, and hopefully that is growing in us, uh, this, this love and this awe of God, right? Because I, I have this passion as your pastor to see God glorified through uh, us knowing him rightly, believing what is true about him. Because I think when we see God for who he is, when we see him rightly uh, for what he has done, our affections just burst forth because it's magnificent who our Father in heaven is and what Jesus has done for us. And I, I also believe really strongly that one of the offshoots of right understanding, right belief in God, is that it will lead to right actions. And those glorify God even more, right? In our, in our minds, in our hearts, and in our actions. That's how we want to glorify the Lord. But I think one of the ways that I have probably fallen short, uh, that I maybe haven't served you as well as I could, is, is teaching the obedience peace, right? Because we need to be taught uh, how to obey God as much as we need to be taught what is true about God, right? We need to learn what is the right response to the Lord, and how do we, how do we live in obedience to Him? And so that's one of the focuses of my message. I want to shift a little bit this year is hopefully bring in more of that obedience piece. Let's look at the Lord. Let's stare at His goodness, and then consider what does it mean like, what do we do with that? What does it mean for us? Um, as I thought through about how to start moving us toward greater obedience to the Lord, um, I felt the Lord direct me back to Genesis uh, and to start here before we go heavily into, you know, Christian living and, and obedience. We, we need to go back to the beginning. And it may just be the way that my mind works, and my mind works in a very linear way, but I was like, let's, let's go back to the beginning, and first we need to look at, like, who are we, right? What were we made to be? What was our initial purpose, right? And then kind of what, what went wrong? Like, how did we get to where we are now? And then how did the Lord redeem us back to kind of what we were supposed to be in the first place? And so that's what we're going to be looking at over the next few months, and that's going to lead us right up to Easter, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1 to 3 until Easter, and that seems far away, but it's only like two and a half months, and so it's really not that far away. And we're going to look at God's creation of humanity. We're going to look at man's purpose. We're going to look at woman's purpose. We're going to look at uh, what happened, what went wrong, what were the consequences of that, what did we lose in the fall, and then we're going to finish this series by looking at the promised redemption that we see right there in the creation story. And that's going to bring us to Easter, where we are going to celebrate that redemption through Jesus Christ on the cross that we received through His blood and His sacrifice, which is then going to launch us into the rest of the year. And we're just going to look at obedience and Christian living and kind of like, okay, we have been redeemed. Now what? What does that mean? And so that's where we're going. You can tell I haven't preached for a couple of weeks. Um, <laughs> and so, to begin talking about creation and specifically God's creation of humanity, we need to start with the most foundational and important truth about us so that we understand everything else that we are going to talk to and we are going to talk about this year and why it matters. And so, this morning, we are talking about the Imago Day. And if you don't know what the Imago Day means, it's okay. You're not alone. We're gonna, I'll explain what that means in a moment. But first, there is a massive and sad misunderstanding 
uh, of the hierarchy of God's created order in our world. The death or mistreatment of animals increasingly garners more universal anger in our world and in our culture than the death of another human being. And that's a disordered view of God's creation. In recent years, several countries, this is a true story, uh, several countries, beginning with Switzerland, began passing laws. And these laws made it illegal to boil lobsters alive when you were cooking them. It's true. And they, they passed these laws in case the lobsters had feelings. In case they felt pain. And I say in case because they've studied, and they're not sure. They don't know whether they actually feel pain. But the debates about these laws have now come to the UK. They've come to Canada. You can actually find some articles that's been debated in Canada in the last few years. I was reading an article that I found in the CBC News. One lawyer actually said this. What more horrifying act can you imagine than taking a living creature in your own kitchen and subjecting him or her to death by boiling. From an ethical perspective, the argument is, let's err on the side of caution, just in case these animals may feel pain. Well, in contrast, Canada, where this debate has been had in recent years, has absolutely no laws on the books protecting human life in the womb. There's no law. There is no law against aborting a child right up to the point of birth. And according to an Ipsos poll <clears throat> from summer 2022, the majority of Canadians support access to abortion whenever a woman wants to have one. There was a private member's bill that was brought before the House of Commons a couple of years ago, and the point of this bill was to protect girls in the womb from sex-selective abortion. Because girls are predominantly aborted, especially in some cultures where it is more favorable to have a male. And so there was a private member's bill brought forward to protect girls that they could not be aborted based alone on their sex, and it was shot down. Because our government refuses to touch anything in regards to abortion. In the countries that have outlawed the boiling of lobsters alive, they have laws that allow for abortion for at least a portion of pregnancy. If abuse or killing of an animal upsets or offends more than the abuse or killing of human life, an individual's values are deeply misaligned. It doesn't excuse the abuse of animals, but it is much more grave when it is a human being. And at the root of it, it reveals a loss in our world of the conviction known in theological terms as the Imago Dei. The Imago Dei simply means the image of God. It is the conviction 
and the understanding that every human being, every person that you come face to face with, has been made in the image and likeness of our God. It comes directly from Genesis 1, 26 to 27. Kyle read it for us. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So from this scripture, I want to just hit three very basic and very quick points this morning. We're going to expand on this a lot over the next several weeks. But number one is that we have been created by God. Number two, we were created in His image after His likeness. And number three, God created us male and female. So we're just going to hit each one of those pretty quick this morning. So we were created by God. What this means is that, like all created things, there are several truths that govern our existence. And we do not function well outside of these truths when we try to push against them. And so truth number one is that we have a specific purpose. Every created thing has a specific purpose. Whether you're talking about a human being, a fork, an airplane, everything that has been created, has a specific purpose. There is a reason why God created us. We're going to look more at that next week when we look at man's purpose. But the creation story tells us we are to be God's representatives on earth, that we are to have dominion over the earth, that we are to work and keep and govern. And all of that that we are to do is ultimately to the purpose of glorifying God himself. Isaiah 43, verse 7 says, For everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory. God created us for His glory. And so everything that we do is to that end, no matter what it may be. And so we have a specific purpose. Truth number two, we have boundaries and limitations. Limitations and boundaries are a normal part of life, and they adjust and they change according to seasons that we find ourselves in and different circumstances that we find ourselves in. Some limitations are situational. Some limitations are universal across the board. And so an example of a situational limitation is for all of you who have young children. You have significant limitations. Let me tell you. I know. Right? You have limitations on sleep, you have limitations on time, and you have limitations on, on freedom. Like I, was, I was telling Kate just, I think like a couple of weeks ago, you know, it's one of those things where sometimes right now when we try to leave our house, it's a battle. Like it is a battle trying to get four kids together to leave the house and in the car. Like you put someone, you know what I hate? I hate socks. I hate socks. I've never hated socks so much in my life until I had four kids. Because either you can't find one, or you just put one on, and you go to put on the next one, and the other one took theirs off. It's so frustrating. And it can take us anywhere from seven to 47 minutes to get out of the house when we're going somewhere. And I said to her the other day, like, we got in the car, and it's like, now we still have to go and do what we were going to do. I feel like we should be done at this point. Right? 
And some of you can relate to that. It's just, it's a situational limitation. Like, those of you who can just leave your house, don't take it for granted. Then you just put your jacket on and walk out. Like, what is that? I don't know what that is. Situational limitations. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and then you have ex- universal limitations, right? We all need sleep. We have a limitation. We have to sleep. We can only be in one place at a time. As much as some of us wish we could be in more than one place at a time, we can only be in one place at a time. God put limitations on Adam in the garden. He said, you shall not eat of this tree, of the fruit of this tree, right? Limitations teach us God is God and we are not. It's one of those things that remind us we are created. We have limitations because we are not God. The the third truth, there is a proper way of living and many improper ways of living. As created beings, it means that there is a right way. There is a designed way to live and there is a wrong way to live. Just like how every created thing has a proper use and an improper way of using it. Think about, have you ever thought about all of the warning labels that are on everything? It's because clearly people have misused them. And there's some warning labels where you read them and you're just like, really? Is that actually needed to be on there? Did somebody actually do that? Yes, they did. Because as human beings, we, we misuse things. But there is a proper way of living and many improper ways of living. Jesus says in John 14, verse 6, I am the way. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is a proper way of living and an improper one. Truth number four, we are under the dominion of the one who created us. We do not get to determine what is a proper way of living. It has been dictated to us. The one who created us gets to determine that for us. God governs and has dominion over us and has the final say, the final authority over what is right and what is wrong. God has the final say, final authority in how we live our lives, in how we treat our days. All of it is under His authority Number two, we are created in the image and likeness of God. Every single one of us. This is the Imago Dei, created in the image of God. There are debates of exactly what this means. It's very hard to pin down exactly how we image God. But there's a few main forms of thought on this. The first one is that we image God through our external physical form. This was a thought that came up in the 1940s. My mind, it's the least plausible. I don't think God looks like us. But that's, some people think that. I don't think God looks like us. Thought number two is that we have attributes of God, that we image God because we share some attributes that He has, that He has knitted some of the attributes that He has into us. We have intelligence, and we have emotions, and we have self-awareness, and we have will, and things like that, and that is how we image God, through those things. That's probably the most popular view. One of the challenges with that view is that at different stages of life, not everybody has them to the same degree. Some have sickness, some have disabilities, 
And not everybody has it to the same degree as everybody else. Thought number three is that we are created in God's image. means that we are created in the capacity of God, but on earth. Now, before you freak out, this is not to say that we are God's. Okay, that's bad theology. I don't know if some of you have heard the, the little God theory. That's bad theology. It's terrible theology. That's not what I'm saying. We are created as God's images. We mirror back. We reflect back to Him in a sense of how we function here on earth as His representatives. Right? God has dominion over everything. We have dominion over the earth. Adam named the animals. God let Adam name the animals. He had authority over that. We have an element of authority and governance over the earth the way that God has all authority over the universe. Regardless of what combination of those things denotes that we are made in the image of God, the truth remains. You and I and every person we come face to face with is in God's image, in God's likeness. And that means that the only qualification of being in the image of God is that you are human. And that's every one of us. And this matters so deeply. Because the Imago Dei, the image of God, is the root, is the foundation of so much that we see in our world, whether people recognize it or not. It is the foundation of human dignity. It is the foundation of human rights. It is the foundation of how we think in regards to ethical situations and problems, like abortion, like euthanasia, like genetic engineering. The Imago Dei, the image of God, impacts every single area of our lives and how we interact with God and how we interact with one another. Number three, God created male and female. This is a beautiful truth. The image of God is reflected in both genders equally. It's amazing. It's reflected in both genders equally. God created us male and female, and it's good and it's right. And you know what? That idea is heavily under attack in our world. For me to say that, some people would say that that's hateful and it's violence towards them. Because I stand on the truth that God made two genders, male and female, and it's a beautiful design. The modern argument has become that gender is a social construct. This argument has only come up in the last 10 years. It's a brand new thought. What we need to understand is that the distortion of the idea of male and female, it's not simply a, a battle of the sexes. It is a battle for what is true, and it is a battle for what is real, that is grounded in the very first pages of God's creation story. Our culture says, you are what you feel. God says, 
You are who I created you to be. Just like in all other areas of life, we do not get to determine who we are and what we do based on what we feel. That makes a horrible compass for life. We all know that. There are times where we have made decisions based on feelings and just reflect, how did that go? Not good. God determines who we are and what we should do as the one who made us in his image. And while our culture purports you can be whatever you feel, we need to communicate God created you beautifully as you are. That's what people need to hear, especially young people. Why does all of this matter? I've said it already. I'll say it again because every single person that we come in contact with is made in the image of God. You may disagree with them fundamentally on everything, and they are still made in God's image. Our feelings toward another person does not dictate the respect that we are to show them because of the likeness that they have been made in. Focus on a family. One gentleman that wrote for them, he said, being made in the image of God is not some abstract theological concept. It provides the basis for how we understand and approach every area of life. Our view of human nature, how we treat people, how we treat the environment, the value we place on human life, human culture, all of these things are grounded in the Imago Dei. So we're going to really expand upon this in the coming weeks as we talk about man's purpose and woman's purpose and why did God make us. But one of the things that I want to begin to do for us as a church is steps of obedience every week. As I said, I don't want us to just know. I want us to live it out. James chapter 3 verse 9 says, he's talking about the tongue. It says, with our tongues we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Curse means to speak against someone. Jesus cursed the fig tree. It means to condemn. It means to desire holding blessing back from someone. When we, re- when we curse another person, it reveals a heart issue in us. How do we bless God, James says, and turn to curse someone who's made in his image? And so this week, I want to start giving you a growth step every week. And so this week, your growth step, it's not going to be easy for some of you. I want us to consider who have you spoken against? Who have you cursed with your words? Who have you desired less than good for? Reflect on that. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's someone you work with. Maybe even it's a group of people whose ideology you do not agree with. I want you to reflect on that this week and repent. 
for what you have spoken against them. And maybe for some of you, the step of obedience that you have to take means going to that person and asking forgiveness. And then when you've done that, pray for them and take a tangible step in how you can bless them. Maybe it's praying for a word of encouragement. I don't know, but take a tangible step. So that's your growth step this week. That's my growth step this week as well. I'm doing it with you. So that we may reflect on the fact that every person, even those that we struggle with, are made in God's image. Let's pray. Father, I pray for each heart in here this morning. Father, I pray that in the depths of our hearts, we would recognize the beauty of your design. That what you have made is truly glorious. Father, I pray that each person in here would know that they are knitted together uniquely by you. That you created them, that they are made in your image after your likeness. Father, I pray for those who struggle to believe that. Lord, I ask that you would minister to their hearts. Father, I pray that we as a church would be charitable, that we would be charitable to one another, that we would be charitable towards others because of the reality of the Imago Day. May we not bless you with our mouths and then turn around and curse others. And Lord, I pray for those in here who need to take a step this week who are going to find it very difficult. Father, I pray that obedience to you would win out, knowing that on the other side of obedience is always blessing and always growth in Christ. It may be difficult, but it's a good thing. And so, Father, we pray, I pray over each heart and each mind, that we would hold fast to the truth of your creation, to the beauty of it, and that we would live out of that truth. We thank you, Lord, for how you have made everything. We give glory and honor to your name this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.